This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Um, just a few announcements for everyone. Um, on Monday, May 3rd, um, we're having a Discover Emmaus uh, meeting, which is a new, it's a new members class. Um, so anybody that's interested in becoming a member at Emmaus, um, be sure to check that out. Um, Monday, May 3rd uh, at 6.30 p.m., I think. Yeah. Um, and then Thursday, May 27th, is a worship team night. Um, current and curious volunteers are welcome. Um, yeah, if you think you can sing, I think it's a great place to, to try out, maybe. Um, uh, the women's gathering is next Sunday. Uh, that happens monthly. It's at 4 p.m., and it's here. Um, and now, um, if, if you're willing and able, let's stand for the reading of God's word. Today we'll be reading from Isaiah 14, 24 to 32, and then Isaiah 16, 7 to 14. Okay, so the Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have, as I, as I have planned, so shall it be, and as I have purposed, so shall it be, that I will break the Assyrian in my land, and on my mountains trample him underfoot. And his yoke shall depart from them, and his burden from their shoulder. This is the purpose that is purposed concerning the whole earth. And this is the hand that is stretched out over all the nations. For the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? In the year that King Ahaz died, came this oracle. Rejoice not, O Philistia, all of you, that the rod that struck you is broken. For from the serpent's root will come forth an adder, and its fruit will be a flying, fiery serpent. And the firstborn of the poor will graze, and the needy lie down, down in safety. But I will kill your root with famine, and your remnant it will slay. Wail, O gate, cry out, O city, melt in fear, O Philistia, all of you, for smoke comes out of the north and there is no straggler in his ranks. What will one answer the messengers of the nation? The Lord has founded Zion, and in her the afflicted of his people find refuge. And then in chapter 16, verse 7 to 14. Therefore, let Moab wail for Moab. Let everyone wail. Mourn utterly stricken for the raisin cakes of Kir Haraseth, for the fields of Heshbon languish, and the, and the vine of Sibma. The lords of the nations have struck down its branches, which reached to Jazer and strayed to the desert. Its shoots spread abroad and passed over the sea. Therefore, I weep with the weeping of Jazer for the vine of Sibma. I drench you with my tears, O Heshbon and for over your summer fruit and your harvest, the shout has ceased. And joy and gladness are taken from the fruitful field. And in the vineyards, no songs are sung. No cheers are raised. No, treaders tread, no treader treads out wine in the presses. I have put an end to the shouting. Therefore, my inner parts moan like a lyre for Moab. And my inmost self for Kirharaseth. 
And when Moab presents himself, when he wearies himself on the high place, when he comes to his sanctuary to pray, he will not prevail. This is the word that the Lord spoke concerning Moab in the past. But now the Lord has spoken, saying, In three years, like the years of a hired worker, the glory of Moab will be brought into contempt in spite of all his great multitude, and those who remain will be very few and feeble. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Emmaus. We're actually going to cover chapter 14, verses 26, all the way through chapter 18. So I thought it would be gracious to not have Andrew come up here and read three and a half chapters. <laughs> Tim's wondering why I made him read so much last week. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Um, so we've got in this section, we've got a, a series of, of oracles, uh, not really a, a word uh, we're used to using. And, and one commentator said that oracle is like a, like a divine declaration. Like God is now speaking his judgment or his declaration or his consideration on each of these nations, and, and through the middle of 14, all the way through 18, we get a handful of nations that God just sort of speaks his judgments about. And I think, I started last week, and I kind of want to do the same thing. I think we, we struggle a little bit with that word judgment. Um, if, if, um, if your view of that word or the way you just commonly use that word is like me, when I say judgment, I think of like wrath of God, when I think of judgment, I think of like God pouring out his wrath. And there, there is an element to that for sure. But if you're just to Google the definition for judgments, the first one that comes up is the ability to make considered decisions or come to sensible conclusions. The ability to make sensible, or sorry, the ability to make considered decisions or come to sensible conclusions. So in our series, when we're talking about the judgments of God that lead us to the presence of God, in a sense, we're talking about these divine declarations where the creator of the universe has, has given us his sensible conclusion on the country of Moab. The, the creator of the universe has given us his considered decisions on who we are or who he is. So when in this series, we're calling it His Judgments in His Presence because we want to consider these divine declarations. We want to consider the, the statements that God is making about who we are, about who He is, about the issues in the world. We want to consider His statements on these things, His sensible conclusions, so that we can better understand Him and we can better enjoy the presence and the wonder and the beauty and the encouragement that is the very presence of God. Amen. And so this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about our misjudgments. When we misjudge a situation, there are consequences for it. And one of the ones I was thinking of that it's hard not to laugh is everyone I know that gets Cosmos pizza for the first time and orders the large. I'm doing this because you know, 
Like you show up to someone's house and they're like, oh, I'm glad you got three larges. You, you, if you have not got the pizza that huge before, you misjudge how much pizza you need for a particular occasion. And the, and the consequences to that particular misjudgment just means you eat unhealthy for the rest of the week because you have so much leftover pizza. Those particular kinds of misjudgments have, have you know, very minimal consequences to say the least. But when we're talking about our greatest need, when we're talking about who God is, when we're talking about how do we solve the problems and the suffering that we deal with in the world, a misjudgment there has much, much, much more weighty consequences. And so as we walk through scripture, as we get these divine oracles, he's giving us an opportunity to see our misjudgments, to see the things that we misjudge that keep us from enjoying and relishing in and being comforted by the very presence of God. So we're gonna walk through each one of these little oracles and we'll just hit on some high points and say, what's the misjudgment? What's the misjudgment here that keeps me from enjoying the very presence of God? Uh, So let's pray, and then uh, we'll kind of jump into this three and a half chapters of oracles in in Isaiah. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you. um, I thank you that you are kind enough to come down and speak to us. Um, You give us your declarations because you want us to know who you are. Lord, you give us your declarations, your oracles, because you want us to know who we are and, and what you're doing in this world, Lord. I pray as we sift through um, this prophecy from thousands of years ago that your spirit would work in a way that, that makes this useful for us, that your spirit would, at the end of the day, warm us with your presence, that we would, we would sense that you are here because we wanna turn from our misjudgments and accept your judgments so that we can enjoy your presence, Lord. I thank you for this morning and um, just the opportunity to, to worship you and to consider these things. In your name I pray. Amen. Well, let's just jump right into the first verse of 24. The first thing he kind of starts with in this whole big section, which I think um, is appropriate, but I guess it's God's word, so if I thought it was inappropriate, then I'd have to correct myself. But he, he starts with his misjudgment on, on, we misjudge God. Like at the very beginning At the very beginning of all of our misjudgments, we misjudge God. And so last week we talked about Babylon. We talked about this in the the flow of the story of Isaiah. Babylon was kind of out out of sync with everything else that was going on. There was Ephraim uh, partnering with another country, Syria, with their capital, Damascus. And they were threatening Israel as we kind of walk through Isaiah. And God says, you're worried about these nations, but I'm going to bring another nation. I'm going to bring Assyria, and Assyria is going to wipe out both Ephraim and Damascus, and Assyria is going to, going to be this, this flood of judgment that comes up to the neck, and, he, and he's kind of walking through this in, in Isaiah, and all of a sudden, we get a picture of Babylon, and, it, and even as you're fo- if you're following Isaiah, when Babylon shows up, you kind of should say, like, wait, where did this come from? 
Like, who, who is Babylon? How, does this, how is this relevant to the story? And it, it's Isaiah, as he's put this prophecy together, he's given us a picture of an enemy that's even greater than the nation that was gonna come destroy the nations they were already fearing. So we get this little picture of, an, of this great enemy Babylon and her king. And now all of a sudden, in the passage that we, that we read this morning, we've jumped sort of back into the historical flow of the story. Babylon is not yet a power that's risen, and we've jumped back into considering Assyria, the actual current threat of Israel as sort of as the flow of, of, of the prophecy kind of goes through the chapters. And he, he starts back in this, he's, he's left Babylon, he's kind of gone back into the historical flow of the book, and in verse 24 he says, the Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, so shall it be, and as I have purposed, so shall it stand, that I will break the Assyrian in my land and on my mountains trample him underfoot and his yoke shall depart from them and his burden from their shoulder. This is the purpose that is purposed concerning the whole earth and this is the hand that is stretched out over all the nations. For the Lord of hosts has purposed and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out and who will turn it back? And he starts out this oracle helping us understand helping us reorient our thinking around the God that we worship. And I, and I think this is, this is a radical statement. He says, as I have planned, so shall it be. And I think about how many times my day gets messed up when I make plans, and I cannot say that. I think about my to-do list. I think about goals that I might have. I think about what I want to accomplish in a week. I think about my life. And I can say, as I have planned, probably it won't be. And God's reminding us, and I think we, we, when we think about God and we think about what he is planning to accomplish, when we think about his purpose for you or his purpose for our life, I think our experience is when I make plans, they get messed up. When I have a to-do list, I don't get to it all. When I have like a goal in mind for my life, I'm not, I don't have confidence that I'm gonna accomplish that goal. And God starts off this prophecy and says, don't misjudge me. My plans, my to-do lists, my purpose, my goals, God is saying that's reality. There's no difference. There's no difference between the things I want to accomplish and the reality that you experience. There's no difference between the things that I have mapped out for the week or the day or the minute or the hour and what actually occurs. And I think a lot of times we misjudge God on that. We doubt the fact that he has promised to do certain things and we, we view it through our lens because when I think about my plans or my purposes, those things get messed up. And I was trying to, as I thought about how I misjudge God in that particular way, I feel like there's a, a handful of, of, of different ways I could, I could go off track and misjudge the things that God has promised and purposed to do. But I think as believers in the church, he promises to build his church. That's his plan. He promises to transform us more and more into the image of Christ. That's his purpose. He promises us that nothing we can do, and we're, if we're united to Christ, nothing we can do, period, can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. His plans his purposes for you are reality. There, there's no swaying from that in his world. 
as I have planned, so shall it be. And I think it's encouraging to remember those things. If we misjudge the God that we worship, and we begin to think that maybe he's being messed up, maybe he doesn't love me because of something that I've done, maybe this is a mistake that this X, Y, Z thing is happening in my life, we've already misjudged God. We're already off track. And God's saying, if you want to enjoy my presence, you need to pay attention to my judgments. Because as I have planned, so shall it be. And it's not just, it's not just our, our misjudgments on God that I think keep us from, from enjoying the real presence of God, but it's our, it's our misjudgments on what we need. We often misjudge what we actually need. And I think in this oracle to Philistia, this kind of comes out a little bit. In verse 28, he says, in the year that King Ahaz died came this oracle, Rejoice not, O Philistia, all of you, that the rod that struck you is broken. He's talking about Assyria. For from the serpent's root will come forth an adder, and its fruit will be a flying, fiery serpent. We talked a little bit about the fact that the snake lends towards the dragon, and how that points us all to, our, to our ultimate enemy, Satan himself. And the, the firstborn of the poor will graze, and the needy will lie down in safety. But I will kill your root with famine, Philistia, and your remnant it will slay. Wail, O gate, cry out, O city, melt in fear, O Felicia, all of you, for smoke comes out of the north, and there is no straggler in his ranks. And it was hard not to think of like the army in 300, the, the like, you know, like the smoke is, it's like an all very different scene than, than the, the buff dudes. I didn't remember the, the scene, so. But, but I think like this idea of the smoke coming from the north is there's, there is a, such a huge incoming army on the other side of the hill that you can see the smoke from the campfires, from the, the, the furnaces as they, they brand their weapons, as they, they're preparing to come and destroy you. And, you. and I think like if I'm in Felicia and I hear this, this is meant to be a little bit terrifying. I can't just look on Google Maps and be like, oh man, there's a, you know, they're almost here. It's scary. I'm just going about my business as all of a sudden I start to see smoke on the other side of the mountain getting darker and darker and coming closer and closer. And it's this picture of, of impending suffering, of an army that's coming and there's going to be suffering and there's going to be pain. And he says, there is no straggler in his ranks. And it's this idea that as God gives us his statement on what's about to happen, God tells Philistia specifically about suffering that's about to happen. He's gonna ask them how they're gonna deal with that. And I think one of the most universal human experiences, one of the things that no pastor ever has to defend is that we all suffer. We all have suffering in the past that's painful. We all, some of us have suffering this week that's difficult. Some of us are worried about potential suffering that could come in the future. We see the, the smoke over the mountains as we consider things in our lives. Life is difficult. And, and we have ways that we suffer. And I think we misjudge our needs when we're suffering so often. We misjudge what will actually bring us the peace and the joy that the presence of God offers us. And I just, 
think of a few examples. When I'm suffering at work, what do I need? I need a better job or a boss that's chill or, a, or maybe something, a project that isn't as complicated. That's what I need. When I'm suffering with difficult relationships, maybe it's a, a close one that's hard and that's painful, what do I need? I need them to change. I need things to be better. Maybe I just need to walk away and get a better one. We, we come up with all these things that we need when suffering is imminent. You know, I think we suffer from ourselves. When we fail, when we fall into sin, when we're struggling with something and we want to change, what do we need? What do we cry out to the Lord for? We need ourselves to be different. We need X, Y, Z thing to change. And I think what God is saying is, Felicia, there is suffering that's coming. There is suffering. And in verse 31, verse 32, he says, what will one answer the messengers of the nation? (laughs) This nation that's coming over the mountain, that's coming with impending doom, it's gonna cause suffering. What will one answer? The Lord. The Lord has founded Zion and in her the afflicted of his people find refuge. And we've brought this up a handful of times, but Zion is like, is Jerusalem or the, or the holy mount. Zion is a picture of what it means for God's people to be in God's presence. Zion is a picture of what it means for God's people to be in God's presence. And how often when we're suffering, how often when we're really suffering or we're worried about suffering that's coming in the future, we think about suffering that we've gone through in the past and we say, Lord, what I really need is for you to be present. What I really need is for your joy and peace to be with me as you dwell in me through your spirit. And I think so often we misjudge our needs and we don't cry out to the Lord for his presence. And we miss out on that. I think a big part of why we misjudge our needs, we don't often turn to the very the presence and comfort of the Lord, is because we mis, misjudge his methods for, for enjoying that presence. And kind of what, in parallel to that, we also misjudge the, the stuff we believe will comfort us. We misjudge the, the stuff that we have around us or, or whatever it is. We misjudge the, the things around us and how they will bring us peace and joy and comfort. So we misjudge his methods and we misjudge the, the stuff around us that we think will fulfill the whole that's there. And he goes on in this oracle concerning Moab to talk about Moab and their pride because God's method is ultimately our humiliation. God's method is is ultimately our our going to him with expressing a need and saying that what I have is not sufficient and you are sufficient. Moab is characterized by pride in in uh, chapter 15, verse one. It says, an oracle concerning Moab, because Ar of Moab is laid waste in a night, Moab is undone. This is the northernmost city. Because Kir of Moab is laid waste in a night, Moab is undone. It's the southernmost city. 
And this word undone is the same word that Isaiah uses when he sees God, when he's in God's presence before God atones for his sin, before God cleanses Isaiah, he sees, before Isaiah recognizes and cries out to God and says, Lord, I, I am a man of unclean lips. I need you to transform me. And he uses this word undone because it's immensely personal. He's seeing the suffering of this prideful people, Moab. And look at verse five. Isaiah says, my heart cries out for Moab. My heart cries out for Moab. Isaiah knows the suffering that people experience because they won't humble themselves and turn to the presence of the Lord. And he says, my heart cries out for Moab. This is difficult. He's, he's not taking this oracle or suffering lightly. He's saying, this is, this is painful. The statement that God has made about these prideful people is hard. This is difficult for me. And it's hard not to think of the, the better Isaiah as we we're talking about uh, in the leadership intensive. The, the better Isaiah, our, our savior, Jesus Christ, who sees us often in our pride going after things that, because we misjudge our need. And he, and he loves us and he cries out for us and he's concerned for us and he, he has a heart for who we are. And I think that's why as a community, as we are transformed in the image of Christ, we wanna have a heart for those who are suffering in the world. We want the, the solution of the presence of God to be something that we desire for others because we know it's actually gonna fill the need that they, they need filled. We wanna judge their needs properly. And he goes on to explain what's going on in Moab. He says, for that the ascent of Lewis, they go up weeping and on the road to Herenium, they raise a cry of destruction. He's, he's talking about essentially they're being dragged off into slavery. They're being exiled. And these are, he goes on and says, the waters of Nimrim are a desolation. The grass is withered. The vegetation fails. The greenery is no more. These are, these are all the things that would have been the pride of Moab. These are all the things that they would have stored up and that, that would have been like, this is why I have safety and security because I have all this stuff and I judge that this stuff will actually be the thing that brings me peace, will be the things that bring me comfort, will be, I don't need the presence of God because of all the things that I have. In verse seven, he explains that and says, therefore the abundance they have gained and what they have laid up, they carry away over the brook of the willows. Again, this is a picture of just taking these things off into slavery and exile. For a cry has gone around the land of Moab. Her wailing reaches to Iglium. Her wailing reaches to Beer Elim. For the waters of Dibon, another just image of this river that would have provided for them. The idea of rivers is a source of life in the ancient world. This is what makes cities prosper. This is what makes crops grow. It says, for the waters of Dibon, though, are full of blood. For I will bring upon Dibon even more. A lion for those of Moab who escape for the remnant of the land. He's saying, look, Moab, you have put your trust in these things. You have stored up all this stuff and you've misjudged what this stuff will do for you. You've misjudged what this stuff is capable of rescuing you from. And he gives us a hint of this pleading with Moab in, in chapter 16, verse one. He says, send the lamb to the ruler of, of the land from Selah by the way of the desert 
to the mount of the daughter of Zion. Send the lamb to the ruler of the land. This is, this is a picture of tribute. He's saying, Moab, if you would have only humbled yourself, if you would have only looked on Jerusalem where the presence of God is with the people of God, if you would have only brought tribute to the king, the true king, and not trusted in and misjudged the things that you have, you knew the way to be rescued. You knew who to bring tribute to, and yet in your pride, you refused to do that. And he says that in verse six. He says, we have heard of the pride of Moab. How proud is he of his arrogance, his pride, and his insolence, and his idle boasting, he is not right. And Isaiah is saying the same thing that Proverbs is saying, that Psalms is saying, that Jesus says in Matthew, that James says, God gives grace to the humble, but opposes the proud. And I think when we misjudge the stuff that we think will solve what our need that is often misjudged, when we misjudge the stuff and we say, Lord, your judgment, the fact that you think that your presence would actually be the thing that brings me joy and brings me peace, in our pride, we're saying our judgment about what I need is right. And when we're stuck in our pride, verse seven, he says, therefore, let Moab wealth wail for Moab. Let everyone wail, mourn, utterly stricken for the raisin cakes of Kir Hereseth. His method that we misjudge, that brings us the presence of God, is our humility. And often it's because we misjudge the things around us, which, you know, those must be really good raisin cakes to end up in scripture. <laughs> so, dude, these raisin cakes. <laughs> so don't, I just, they must have been well known for being delicious. It kind of says the same thing in the oracle concerning Damascus in chapter 17. They, mis, they misjudge the worth of their stuff. It says, an oracle concerning Damascus, behold, Damascus will cease to be a city, will become a heap of ruins. And the city is like the, the center of economic prosperity. The city is like where all the cool stuff is. The city is where there's safety and security. And he, he says, it's gonna become a heap of ruins and the cities of Aor are deserted. They'll be for flocks, which will lie down and none will make them afraid. It's just gonna be a desolation. The fortress will disappear from Ephraim. There's, there's the things that they, they go to that, that is the picture of their strength and what brings them rest and security, this fortress. And it says, the remnant of Syria will be like the glory of the children of Israel, declares the Lord of hosts. And he says that because Syria and Ephraim earlier are mocking Israel. They're mocking Jerusalem. They're mocking where the presence of God. They're misjudging what is actually secure. And they're mocking them. And he goes, you know what? You're gonna end up like them. You're gonna be small and insignificant like them like the ones that you made fun of, but without the presence of the Lord. And I think this is really weighty and difficult passages because so often in our lives, we misjudge our stuff, we misjudge our need, and we don't realize that the very presence of God is the thing that's ultimately gonna bring us the peace 
and in the joy that we need. And if we want to experience more of his presence, we can't continue in our misjudgments. If we want to have the joy of the Lord as our strength, we can't continue misjudging God. We can't continue misjudging our need. We can't continue misjudging our stuff or the way that he, the way that he works in our humiliation. We have to ask ourselves, When do you misjudge your need? Where is suffering in your life? And the answer isn't the Lord. What do we want more than his presence? What would it look like to humble yourself? And, and bring tribute to the God who loves us. I feel like Isaiah, most people think that he put these things together at different times and he had a very long ministry, so he's compiling this together at some point in his life. Um, and, the, and the story, like I kind of mentioned earlier, isn't always chronological, so, so there's intentionality behind Isaiah sort of put these things together. And I feel like Isaiah was like, man, we just had like multiple oracles on how we misjudge things in this world, important things we should consider. And I feel like the true pastor that Isaiah is, he's like, we need to talk about the gospel. We need to go back to the good news so that we can be encouraged. Look at what he says in verse 7 of chapter 17. He reminds us of that great day. We've talked about this a handful of times. In that day, man will look to his maker and his eyes will look on the Holy One of Israel. Man will look to his maker and his eyes will look on the Holy One of Israel. And he's reminding us about the day of the Lord that began with the death and resurrection of Christ. He's reminding us of the fact that that God has already poured out his wrath. We've, we've seen the wrath of God revealed on the cross for every single one of our misjudgments. We've seen the wrath of God poured out on Christ. In the great day of the Lord, we have the Holy One of Israel resurrected, sitting on the throne, and now people everywhere are gonna look to him for their salvation. This is why, the, this is why we value the beauty of the gospel. And he, he, he almost reminds us of some of the things that we, we read earlier on. He's like, don't, don't forget. Look at verse 10. He says, for you have forgotten the God of your salvation. You have not remembered the rock of your refuge. You've forgotten the God of your salvation. You have not remembered the rock of your refuge. And I think when we, can, when we take time to reflect on our misjudgments, when we take time to see how we, we think inappropriately about our needs, about the things that will satisfy our needs, it's easy, us, easy for us to forget that ultimately our relationship with the Lord is rooted in what he's done. He is the one who has purposed to rec- rescue his people. He is the one who's united you to Christ and given you the perfect life of the perfect son. The son who never misjudged anything. Jesus showed up on the earth and from day one trusted his father perfectly. Jesus showed up on earth and didn't misjudge our needs. He spent his entire life thinking of and fixing his eye on solving your need. 
we think about God's method for his presence. Who was more comfortable with humiliation than our Savior? Who was willing to be brought low so that he could enjoy the very presence of God in every moment of his life? Except for when he was abandoned for us. Except for that moment on the cross where the Lord turned his face away from the Son so that the Lord does not turn his face away from you. God is the foundation for our salvation. He is, the, he is the rock of our refuge. And he's reminding us of this. And I think as we try to make sense of these things, it helps me to understand is, okay, well, if, the, if Jesus is what enables me to enjoy the presence of the Lord, why do I have to spend 20 minutes or whatever talking about all the ways I misjudge things? Like, what am I, if Jesus is the one who is the foundation for my salvation, he is the one that unites me and brings me into the very presence of God, then why do I have to think about the things that I misjudge? And I think here's, the, here's kind of the key, and I think this is what we're, we're trying to do as we work through this series, as we talk about his judgments and his presence, is it's, as we misjudge things, our misjudgments may keep us from enjoying his presence now, but they will not keep us from enjoying his presence forever. Our misjudgments may keep us from enjoying his presence now, but if we're in Christ, there's nothing we can do that will keep us from enjoying his presence forever. We, we don't have to wait till eternity to reap the benefits of God dwelling in us. We don't have to wait till Till we're done with all the suffering in this world to be comforted by, to have peace in the very presence of God. We can actually turn from our misjudgments about things today so that you and I can enjoy the very presence of God. And I appreciate Isaiah's little pit stop on the gospel as we walk through these really difficult oracles and reminding us of that great day where salvation was accomplished in Jesus Christ. Reminding us of the fact that as God has planned, so shall it be. And he goes on with an oracle concerning Cush. And, and he's this whole time, he's kind of been, if you were standing in, in uh, Israel, he'd be like Moab or Philistia or Syria. And he's like pointing at all these, these nations that are sort of around Israel. And he gets to Cush and he says, a land of whirling wings is beyond the rivers of Cush, which sends ambassadors by the sea and vessels of papyrus on the waters Go, you swift messengers, to a nation tall and smooth, to a people feared near and far, a nation mighty and conquering whose land the rivers divide. He's like, I have an oracle, I have a statement from God that's beyond the land that you can imagine. I have a statement from God, the fact that he is actually accomplishing things, you know, you know that's far away land, but past that. And he tells us what he's accomplishing in, in verse seven. He says, at that time, tribute will be brought to the Lord of hosts from a people tall and smooth, from a people feared near and far, a nation mighty and conquering whose lands the rivers divide to Mount Zion, the place of the Lord of hosts. And he's telling us, don't misjudge the scope of God's kingdom. 
Don't misjudge that the, the presence of God isn't just meant for a little people in Israel, in Jerusalem a long time ago. What God is doing, what God is making a statement on the whole world, what God is doing through the gospel of his, his beautiful son is he's spreading the, the transformative power of his presence throughout the entire world. And so in a unique way, here we are after the cross in a, in a place that Isaiah couldn't even have imagined. Here we are in a place completely beyond his imagination, united to Christ, sensing the very presence of God and humbling ourselves as we worship and praise him and consider him for as glorious as he is. Here we are today fulfilling this prophecy as a people farther than he could ever imagine, worshiping and enjoying the glory and the beauty of the Lord. And there's so many things about what God is accomplishing that we misjudge. He, we're here worshiping because of what he's accomplishing in this city. We're here humbling ourselves and, and considering how great he is because of what his gospel has been doing for 2,000 years. As he has planned, so shall it be. And Isaiah is saying, don't misjudge these things. Because although God is the one who will ultimately bring us into his presence, why start when you're dead? Why not judge things properly so you can really and truly consider his judgments so that today you enjoy his presence? This is the beauty and the wonder of what the gospel is accomplishing. Thanks be to God for this wonderful, unspeakable gift that you and I can experience today, the very presence of God. Let's pray, let's go before his presence and thank him for this gift. Father, I feel the weight of your throne and your kingdom and your son. Lord, we, we wanna humble ourselves. We wanna say that we are not worthy to come before your presence. We are not worthy like Isaiah to stand before you. We like Moab should be undone. And yet you've united us to your son so that we can come before you with confidence. We can, we can enter the throne of grace with confidence in a way that no believer before the cross ever could, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you have worked out your presence across the world for thousands of years as people gather to worship and enjoy you. Lord, I pray that as we misjudge things in the world, as we misjudge our need, as we misjudge the stuff around us, that you would convict us and that we would turn from those things, not, not so that we could just feel better about ourselves, Lord, so that we could experience you, so we could love you more, so that we could, pick, so that we could have a taste of your hope and your joy and your glory. Lord, I thank you for what you are accomplishing in this world. I thank you that you, as you have planned, so shall it be. In your name I pray, amen.